Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Today I have with me Gregory Burge, it's a, and he is a true champion. He is a man of determination, and I love interviewing these people because anybody that has a story of determination and tenacity usually has a very negative story as well, and how they overcame those negatives in their life. And he is definitely a man of determination, which we will see today. He has set a goal of becoming, are you ready for this? A gold medal winner in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. We're excited to hear about that goal too and what has driven him to that point, especially um, what he has had to endure and go through in his life. Um, He's overcome depression, he's overcome fear, and he has become a man of courage. He is also an author, and we'll talk about that as well. His book is How to Find Your Soul Job. That's a very interesting title. So welcome, Gregory. Hi, Carol. And how are you? I'm doing very fine. Right now is a very exciting time of my life. I was thinking about it just today. It's um Right now, it's, it feels pretty good right now to be in my shoes, honestly. Okay. Well, let's start there. Why don't you give us a little insight of why without, without sharing too much? <laughs> <laughs> well, today was very exciting because uh, first of all, it was sunny. And I realized after living in a lot of countries that uh, the sun is really um, important in my life. And um, also... This morning, I, uh, I went uh, outside to train. I trained for two and a half hours, and uh, this is really when I'm the happiest. And uh, I've also uh, just finished shooting um, the video course we're going to talk about later. Okay. And uh, this is really, uh, I realize this is really a big step in my life because I've always been, let's say, uh, pretty good at writing. But um, over time... A lot of people told me I was even better at speaking. And so doing this video course and becoming uh, and overcoming the fear of uh, filming myself and uh, looking at myself speaking was really uh, a huge step to overcome my uh, perfectionism. Okay. Well, that's a lot in a nutshell, isn't it? Exactly. A, big <laughs> work. a lot for 24 hours. So let's start with your uh, career as an osteopath which is sure. quite a quite a switch from what you're doing now. But I know that there were some things in your life that uh, happened to you during this time and that took you into a, um, uh, de- a depressed state. So let's, let's start with your osteopath career. Why and when and tell, tell us about it. Sure. I, um, I decided to, um, to go to school and study osteopathy because – since I thought I wasn't, uh, back when I was 20 years old, since I thought that I wasn't uh, talented enough to become a professional athlete, I thought that my best shot to work in the field of sports was to uh, become an osteopath and then treat athletes. You okay. see, so that was my, that was my ID back then. And uh, so I studied for six years uh, in France and graduated in uh, 2006. And uh, then I started working. I moved to Montreal, Canada, and that's when I started. Uh, I started working, started working in a clinic, and I and I didn't realize it uh, then, but um, the reality of an osteopath was different than uh, what I had uh, envisioned when I was when I was younger. What do you so, mean? What do you mean by that? 
Well, I, my dream was to work with athletes, but the reality of, a, of an osteopath is that you work with people who are not athletes. Okay. That's, that's, that's what it was. And so my, even if I was, um, of course, of, yeah, um, even if I was uh, treating nice people, kind people, I wasn't working um, in, my, um, in my field of, uh, of passion. Okay. You see, so I, so I became, instead of being uh, a man of action and uh, passionate about sports, I became someone as an osteopath who just was there to, to listen, to listen. I was only listening. And um, so that was, uh, I didn't realize it then. And uh, very quickly in Montreal, after I think uh, three months, I became sick. And I did, at that time, I didn't know it was depression. Really? Because, yeah, because on the first day, the very first day, I thought I had a meningitis, and uh, because the 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 fever was uh, was insane, I couldn't. Uh, I had to shut down uh, all the lights, the wi- uh, the wi- the windows. I had crazy headaches, and I didn't know what it was, you know. So at that time, I um I kept trying to work, trying to work, and after a few brain scans, we realized that uh, that I had nothing. Nothing uh, medical, let's say, and uh, so it was a uh, it was very frustrating, you know, because I was in such state of pain. Uh, right. I really I really wanted to have something uh, something uh, well that you can give a name to. You see, I wanted to. Uh, I thought, okay, so if I have a, a brain cancer, or right, tumor, right, at least I know what it is, and I yes. can we can take it from there. But no, I had nothing, and so it was really. At that time, I don't know if I would uh, how I would uh, handle my depression if I had one in 2015 with uh, with everything that I am now. But at that time, my state of mind was uh, something like more of that of a of a victim, so to speak, because I thought that, uh, man, what am I going to do with this? What, what is it? I don't even know. I'm doing uh, I'm doing what I thought. I loved at that time. I thought that uh, doing this job, I was, I was when I, during my studies, I was doing pretty well, and I thought that, uh, and I, that's why I didn't really understand depression because I thought, okay, my work is what I chose to do. Canada is where I dream to live, and <laughs> and the girl I am living with right now, she's like awesome. So you know, it was I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't understand at all. I was so I thought. Uh, Okay, we have to change something. And uh, at first, I changed uh, my uh, little things in my lifestyle, like uh, my nutrition, my uh, social life, my uh, my activities, things like that. Okay. But uh, once again, nothing nothing changed. Nothing changed, and it was really bad. You know, like uh, in your introduction, when. Uh, when you um, when you mentioned that uh, every person who is determined and tenacious has experienced um, some um, some adversity in their life, you know, like the harshest moment I remember from uh, those depression years was um, one night when uh, my girlfriend um, came to touch me, and I and I told her, uh, no, not tonight. Uh, I have a headache. And this was like that point was probably the lowest in my life because you know, like it's it's gonna sound really cliche, but uh, I've always thought that the cliche is that women only do that. You know, okay, like, okay, right, right. But uh, that's but, the general consensus. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, women they have they have, they have a headache. They say no. That's that's really the, the cliche. But when that happened to me, I was like, okay, I'm at the bottom, and. Um, so, um, so I think it, depression lasted for three solid years. Wow. My three years, my now, three years in Montreal. When were you diagnosed during those three years? I've never been diagnosed. Well, you before. haven't. Okay. Yeah, it's just myself who, after a while, said um, because I, I was, um, I was sleeping a lot, a lot. My God, when I think about it. I was sleeping so much, uh, probably up to 12 hours a day sometimes, and I wasn't feeling uh, even better after that. And um, and then the sadness as well. So all those little things combined right. made me realize that uh, 
um, that well, that probably had to uh, to be depression. And uh, after three years, there 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 has been a few changes in my life. First, my girlfriend uh, became my ex girlfriend, so that was one change. And then I was uh, so I was still an osteopath in Montreal. Okay. And I decided to go to uh, near near where you live in Oregon, in Ashland, Oregon. And that's when I um I was going there for a seminar. Okay. I was going there for a seminar, and that's when um, I met um, a Japanese uh, a Japanese woman, and that's uh, and we fell in love with each other. So that was a that was a gorgeous moment. And but I was still <laughs> depressed. That was I was still depressed at that time, you know. And uh, one one very interesting thing, you know. So at that time. I was how old? How old was I? Around around thirty when I met when I met that woman. Around thirty, and a year after that, she um, she told me we were still together, and she told me that the day she met me, she thought I was forty. Oh <laughs> my goodness! <laughs> how did that make you feel? Well. At that moment, when she when she said it, I was I was like, well, <laughs> that was a that sounded a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in retrospect, it's really in complete harmony with what I think about about uh, your soul job and uh, what you do in your life, the work you do, what you do in every day, and how young or how old it makes you look. You know, because I. Uh, I'm going. Uh, can I? I'm going to jump a few steps just okay. to tell you about this. But uh, when I was an osteopath, so that girl, and she fell in love with me. That's incredible. That's crazy. Like she thought, <laughs> she thought, she thought I, I looked forty, but she fell in love with me. And a few years after, when I quit osteopathy and became, that was the, my transition job. I became an English teacher then, and I really loved um, speaking English. And. Huh. Um, did you go to school then in Montreal for that, or did you become a teacher? No, I uh, I obtained a, an online certification. Okay, all right. And uh, when I got to Japan, I mean, for my second time, sorry, sorry, listeners, for all the steps I'm skipping, but I'll come <laughs> back to that. <laughs> and uh, I um, I came to Japan to teach to teach English, and in opposition with osteopathy, I really liked. Teaching. I really liked speaking English, so I thought I was really doing something that I uh, that I loved. And then, like obviously, all the students would ask me where I'm from, what do I like, and if I'm single or not. That's the one question all students ask. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other question they ask is, how old are you? Really? And, yeah, they they, they all uh, ask this question, and uh, and so I would tell them, how old do you think I am? And uh, that's that, that. That's what I'm. That's what I keep on saying now to people who ask about my age. I tell them, "How old do you think I am?" And right. And right now, I think when I was a, a teacher, um, so I was a bit older, maybe 31 or 32, and I uh, and the, the stu and students used to tell me that I looked 27. So um, to me, that was really funny. And right now, like I'm a, I'm living the life of an athlete. Yes. And that's my dream. And uh, and now, people look look at me as an athlete. Tell me, I look twenty five. Oh, <laughs> so, so that uh, must have helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you see, so that's what I'm. That this whole thing of uh, doing your soul job and the work you do, uh, I think the 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 um, how old uh, how old you look really has uh, is meaningful. And if you look young, it's probably that you're doing something you love. Uh, and uh, if you look old. It's probably something. It's probably that you do something you don't like very much. So that's what I uh, truly believe. I think that's I, a good indicator. I agree with that because when we think young, it definitely affects the way we look because it affects the way we act. And exactly. when we think old, we act old, and therefore we appear older. So young at heart, stay young at heart. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still be young at heart and definitely look and feel younger. So what drew you that? Well, first of all, let's go back. Um, 
your depression, how did you deal with that? Or is that later that you dealt I with think, that? I think it's um, it's later. Okay. It's later because, okay. because when, I was in, uh, when I went to Oregon for that uh, osteopathic seminar, it was only for a few days. And uh, I fell in love with that woman. And very quickly after meeting her, we decided to move together to uh, Tokyo, Japan. Okay. That's, that's so that what, took you to Japan then. Okay. Yeah, that's what, that's, that was the first, uh, yeah, exactly the first reason why I went to Japan. The first detailed adventure that drew me to Japan. And that's how I quit Montreal. And, um, and, and then... So you were yes. not, what were you doing at that time then? In uh, Tokyo? Well, yes. Were you, were you still working as an osteopath when you left here? Exactly, yeah. I started working, uh, I was still working as an osteopath um, in Tokyo. It took, me more than, it took me more years, you know, to realize that uh, uh, what myself and my family gave so much years and, and money was not the right thing for me, you know? Right. Yeah, it took a, it took a, a, a lot more time. And uh, when, I, when I arrived in Tokyo, my plan was to um, set up my own clinic, okay. which, I did, which I did, and uh, it, was a, it was a really exciting project. But uh, life decided otherwise. Now, were you working with athletes in Tokyo? Was that part of, uh, that was your dream here? Or, or did you just work with, with uh, regular people who, who needed your services? In Tokyo? Yes. Uh, in Tokyo, I think I think I had said uh, goodbye to that dream of working with athletes at that time. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. At that time, I thought, okay, I might be working with regular people, but uh, having my own clinic and uh, liking the clinic I work in is gonna make is gonna make the difference. Okay. Yeah. And did it? Did it uh, make? I can't. I can't tell you because this clinic, uh, this clinic life expect expectancy has been really short. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, really short because we opened the clinic in February of 2011, and uh, the earthquake, the the infamous Japanese earthquake and the Fukushima uh, nuclear plant meltdown occurred just a month later. Oh, my word. Okay. So that must have really had an impact on you. Uh, that, that, yeah, that moment is probably like the, yeah, that's probably the, the defining moment of my life. You know, I, uh, I say all the time that how traumatizing that, uh, that moment has been, but uh, I wouldn't be here without it. Really? I probably, yeah, I think I probably would still be a, a sad, uh, a sad osteopath crying for no reason with with headaches and looking uh, ten years older, you know. So what happened? Tell us exactly what you were feeling emotionally, the impact it had initially, and then how that changed you, and and changed the obviously your direction. I think, first of all, when it happened, the moment in itself. It's just, um, it's just uh, frightening. The moment in itself to, to feel the, um, the ground shaking underneath your, uh, your feet for five minutes is just really long. No it's kidding, really, yes. And, yeah, and it's, it's really frightening. It's really frightening because um, I was just talking about this with my mother this morning. And um, the thing is that you cannot run away. You cannot do anything. You can just you 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 are you are just here in the moment. You are afraid, and there is nothing you can do but to be afraid for a few more minutes. And wait till it's over. And wait till it's over. Exactly. So that was uh, this moment was really frightening. And uh, and but when when it stopped, suddenly you. Um, you enter in a state of um, um, how can I say unbelief. Unbelief. I I wouldn't say that. Okay. It's more a situation where that it's a situation that you don't know, that you don't control, that you have no idea about, and but you know it's important. 
you know, so there is a deep state of uncertainty, something like that. Okay, okay. Yeah, where you cannot, where you do not control anything, and there is a, um, there is so many things you uh, you wonder. You wonder first uh, is uh, are your um, are your friends and family alive? Then um, is your clinic uh, still uh, still standing? So there there is a lot of uncertainty. And you're not alone. There's there's thousands of people around you doing the same thing and creating a a chaotic state and a feeling I'm sure of of the fear and the anxiety and I can't begin to imagine unless you have actually experienced it. Yes, that would be very very traumatic. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, in uh, in Japan, people uh, the Japanese people are not as um, uh, as open as uh, as us, so they uh, they are very good at hiding their emotions. So the the next day, when I um, 24 hours after the quake, when I went out of the house, everything almost felt normal. Really, that's incredible. Yeah, people were were working, were walking, and um, but the what you're describing was actually what I felt um, because of. Um, all my friends and family asking me all the time how were, how were things <coughs> yes okay okay so, so that's interesting though what you said about the japanese you know just taking it um more in stride and and logically maybe instead of uh, and more practically in other words there's a job to do we need to do it we need to get it done instead of um, what may in some other cultures be much more emotional and what in the world are we going to do? So the attitude was probably more of let's just get the job done. It's exactly that, you know, because uh, when I, I remember when I was there, I thought that like all my um, my French friends couldn't understand why Japanese people were uh, reacted the way they did. But the, the reality is that Japanese people have been dealing with earthquakes and the reality associated with it, like all their lives for centuries. So they, uh, so um, it, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, I'm very. I told you, I'm very. Uh, I was very uh, impacted, both negatively and positively, and uh, immensely positively um, by the earthquake. But I'm sure Japanese people do not feel the same way as me. Huh? For for them, it's probably uh, it may be something that happened. And that's it. We move on. Right. So the impact. Okay. So let's talk about the aftershock, the impact. How did it affect you phys- um, uh, emotionally, positively and negatively? And did that change you? A little bit. <laughs> okay. A little okay. bit, very, very much. Because the first thing that happened after the quake was related to my clinic. And uh, I had to decide what to do. Okay. And I- at that time, I had to decide what to do with my girlfriend, what to do with my clinic, and what to do with my um, uh, with myself. You know, because there were so many threats at that time. It wasn't just the earthquake, but there were also risks of uh, aftershock, and there was also the threat of the the nuclear threat. So all of that was like a lot more than just one earthquake on one Friday afternoon. It right. was. Uh, it was yeah there was there were so many threats you suddenly had to decide um, okay darling what are we going to do next are we going to France are we going to western japan or my clinic all my clients uh, flew back to their home to their native country what am i going to do now do should do i shut down the clinic what do i do? there were a lot of very big decisions to take and that's probably the first um, the first element I was I was in a moment where I had to take very big decisions, and, and you, um, you had to do them quickly, probably. And quickly, yeah. In a week, it was a matter of yeah, it was one week, one week, and um, after uh, yeah, after a few days, I decided to um, I I took two big decisions. The first was to um, um, was to shut down the clinic. That was the first one. Okay. And the second was to uh, to leave Japan. Oh, really? But now you had mentioned that you 
had also encountered the um, tsunami and the nuclear meltdown. Well, when did this occur? Well, everything happened on that Friday afternoon. But in Tokyo, the, the epicenter of the earthquake was about 250 kilometers north of Tokyo. Okay. So we didn't experience the tsunami. Okay. Thank God. Okay, and, uh, no kidding. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because I told you that a quake is scary because you cannot run away from it. But if there is a wave, that you cannot even run. So that's um, well, that's even scarier. So exactly. And um, and the nuclear meltdown happened at the same moment, and that was uh, yeah. And uh, as I told you, that was very uh, what was frightening. The, the, the fear related to the quake lasted for let's uh, let's let's say for half a day. Okay half a day you the quake happens then you you make sure everybody's your friends are alive you tell everybody that you are alive and then it's pretty much it's pretty much done but when the the nuclear meltdown occurred that's when all the threats um came up okay yeah so that's what and and that was uh yeah that was the scary part because uh you um we were at that time. I remember the French embassy was saying that uh, there was a 75% chance of an aftershock um, increasing the, the 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 instability of the nuclear plant in Fukushima. Okay. So that was uh, so yes, all that all that big uh, that big atmosphere that threatening atmosphere was a. Uh, yeah, that was that was really intense at that time, and that's why I had to decide pretty quickly. Okay, what am I going to do now? No clients. Okay, shut down the clinic. No money. Okay, where do you go? Can you work in Japan? Don't speak Japanese. Okay, move back to Canada, and that's how it happened. So how did you, how did that affect your depression? At that time, I realized that um, so I was still depressed. At that time, I was still depressed. And um, but I realized that building this clinic, building this, this this project was exciting to me. It was exciting to me. That's number one. And then also, I was, there were a lot of things that were making me happy in Japan. A lot, a, a lot of things that I liked in Japan. It's it's kind of when I think about it, it's really uh, uh, paradoxical, you know, because yes, when I, yes. When I moved to Montreal, you know, it's a, it's a French-speaking province. Yes. They are very influenced by, uh, by their history with, uh, with Europe and, and, and France. But I was, I was so bad at acclimat acclimatizing myself with, um, with Quebec. Okay. But when I arrived in Japan, that's, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the, the miracle is that I couldn't, I didn't know anything. I couldn't speak the language. I couldn't read it, but I, uh, but I managed to um, integrate myself so well. So that, that there were really a lot of things that I liked in Japan. And how long were you actually there then? Uh, a year. Okay. One. And then you went back to Montreal? No, to Calgary. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you know, I went to uh, near Banff in the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Banff, so, yes, yes. Yeah. I beautiful, went to beautiful place. Exactly. <laughs> the most beautiful place. About um, 10 years ago, I think, in 2004, I went on holidays in Lake Louise. And to me, this was the most beautiful place on Earth. I have Very heard that, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so that's what I uh, really wanted to move to Canada at first. And so what did you do when you were in that area? Uh, still working as an osteopath. I thought, okay, I have to make, because I have um, to create, to launch the clinic in Japan, I had to ask for a, for a $50,000 loan, something like that. Okay. And so I had to make money. You know, I had to go back to a country where I could work. And at that time, my job was still osteopathy. Okay. So, in, and I was, uh, so I was near Banff, near Calgary. And uh, I was in a, 
in a really nice clinic. I told you this area to me is one of the most beautiful in the world. And um, but at that time, I was still depressed because of uh, osteopathy. But I I started to be to I started to 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 know about it. At that time, I was starting to listen more to my okay. intuition okay. and uh, and be aware of it. But also, I was just traumatized by the by the by the, by the earthquake and what happened in Japan. And at that time, when I was when I was uh, when I was in that place, I just wanted to go back to Japan, big time. That's all I wanted. And. Um, so what steps did you take to get out of your depression? Because I know that you ha- you did overcome that. So what what is what do you attribute that to? Oh, it's very it's it's very easy. It's very clear. It's very clear. I um I was working as an osteopath in that clinic, and at the, and at the same time, I was doing some kind of a um, language exchange with a, a Japanese girl. At that time, so we were so we were talking English for half an hour, Japanese for half an hour, okay. and then suddenly, and then at that time, you know, I was I was still depressed, and I was and I was starting to think that maybe quitting osteopathy could be um, could be the right thing. Maybe I was just starting to think uh, of it, and then during that those uh, language uh, exchanges, I realized that I just really liked that. Uh, that teacher-students relationship and atmosphere and speaking English, I, I, and uh, so that that was the first, the first um, moment. Yeah, that was uh, I had like a we we were in a star in a in a Starbucks on on a Saturday morning, and I remember that moment where she told me, "Oh, Gregory, you are so good at teaching English," and I told myself, "Yes, there it is. If I become <laughs> an English teacher, I can go back to Japan." Because I wanted to go back to Japan really bad, but I didn't know, I didn't know how. What could I do in Japan? So right. that English teaching card like really inspired me. And that's at that moment, at that moment, that my fear of quitting osteopathy. Oh, wonderful! Yes. Exactly. Before that moment, I was really afraid to to uh, to quit and, and and not sure at all. But when, but the moment I was inspired to become an English teacher, the fear to quit osteopathy just flew away. So what did you do? (laughs) I, um, what did I do? So I started to think, okay, so how can I become an English teacher? Should I go to university in Calgary? Or maybe there is this online course, which one should I do? Then I started asking questions to, uh, to my friends and family. And there it's like, I love that story. But when I, um, when I told my friends that I wanted to quit osteopathy, when I, I asked some um, teacher friends and uh, I asked them, okay, so I want to quit osteopathy and maybe become a teacher. What do you think? And my friends told me, well, t- teaching is not, uh, is, not, uh, that am- is not that amazing, but uh, I thought you, you looked really good as an osteopath. <laughs> that's, what my, that's what my friends told me. And when I asked the same question to my mom. My mom has been a, has been a teacher uh, all her life. Oh, okay. And uh, I asked her, I told her that, and she said, my son, if you quit osteopathy, you are stupid. Really? And, uh, yeah. And I, uh, and I hung up the phone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I quit, and I, and I did quit osteopathy. I did quit, quit osteopathy. I chose the online certification option. I became an English teacher. I flew back to Japan, and um, two years um, and two years later now, I love that story. And two years later now, when I talk about this with my mom again, she t- she tells me that I was a hero the day the day I uh, the day I decided to quit osteopathy. Really? Yeah. And, well, and that'll help. That'll help your depressed state all by itself, won't it? <laughs> you start yeah. thinking differently. Exactly. Exactly. And. Um, that um yeah and you know and and the day i decided to quit osteopathy is the day my uh is the day my depression flew away 
So what you're basically saying is that's what your book is about, is how to find your soul job, which you really and truly are gifted to do. So let's talk about that. What are you gifted to do and how in the world did this make you um, passionate about the becoming a triathlon uh, gold medalist? Well, I, um, I wrote this book in 20, 2013, maybe. 2013, and at that time I was really working. I wasn't an English teacher anymore. At that time I was working as an interpreter, and um, it was it was really interesting, you know, because I quit. We, we're going to have to talk about uh, <laughs> the Olympics later. Right? It's, a, okay. it's a different okay. step. It's a different step. And uh, we, uh, I quit my job as a teacher in Japan after six months because I realized that my, um, I, I, yeah, that's how what I realized. I realized that I was better designed to be an English teacher than an osteopath. But that I, I wasn't the perfect fit to become a teacher. That's, that's what I thought at, at the time. And that's why I quit um, teaching after probably six months because I realized that, yes, Gregory, you love English, you love speaking English, but there is still something about teaching that's a bit frustrating to you. You can find better than that. Okay. So that's, so that's when I, des- I decided to quit teaching and uh, leave Japan, unfortunately. And uh, I came back to France. Really? <laughs> yeah, I came back to France. So you yeah. went full circle. Yeah, full circle, exactly. And I want to go back to Japan now, so it's never stopping. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, well, continue. So what, what um, again, tell us about your dream and, and what you're doing about that and where that all came from. And um, so... I think I think the dream is a different story than the soul job. Okay. Yeah. Should we go with the soul job story first? Sure. That's fine. Go ahead. So um, I um, I told you when I um, when I started working as an osteopath, I felt sick quite quickly. Yes. Uh, then after teaching, I came back to France, and uh, the funny story is that. Uh, <laughs> I came back to France because I got a job as a as a chef in a Japanese restaurant. So that was that was funny. Really, my yeah. word! How in the world did you become a chef? <laughs> oh, not not a chef exactly, but I was a cook. I was a okay. cook. Okay, okay, all right. And how did <laughs> you enjoy that? Well, once again, I thought at the beginning, theoretically, I thought that I would love it very much because I would still be in touch with the Japanese. Uh, um, with the side of Japan that I love, the culture and Japanese people and the cuisine. And, uh, but once I was, you know, chopping vegetables, I thought to myself, okay, Gregory, you can do something better than that. Okay. <laughs> so from osteo, I, from being an osteopath to a, um, uh, a line cook is basically it, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So then, um, then I um, I uh, I was fired after a week from the restaurant. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that's the funny story. That's the funny part. And uh, I was fired. And that's when, right after I was uh, hired to work as a as an interpreter for the London Olympics. So that was very. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's the connection there. Okay. There. So I was in touch. You know, I was in touch with the side of me that loves English. Yes. Yes. Me that loves sports, so that was that was really like love at first sight, you know. It was uh, exactly, you know, that's what I say in the book. But when you do what you were born to do, that's really what it feels like. It's like love at first sight, you know. I went to that, um, to that, uh, it was a job. Um, oh, my first interpreting job was a month after the Olympics, a month after the Olympics, and uh, my this interpreting job was for the United Nations. In Thailand, and really? yeah, and there I'm telling you the it was there is a, a sentence that I love. I don't know who said it or it's a, a quote. I don't know who 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 it's from, but it says that you should do you should go where you are celebrated, not where you are tolerated. Want to say that again? 
Yeah, sure. The, sent the, the quote says, um, you should go where you are celebrated and not where you are tolerated. And how did that affect you? I think, you know, like when I was as an interpreter, I'm celebrated all the time. You know, I don't feel I um I don't give a lot of myself honestly to interpreting because I, I'm I'm very lucky. My uh, my English is uh, helps me uh, it helps me very much. But I I uh, every time I interpret, I go to um to the um, I go to a conference. I meet the client. I talk with my colleagues, and I am celebrated. You know. I, People are people are very happy to work with me, and it's it's completely different with what happened um, when I was in a in a clinic working as an osteopath. You know, my relationship with clients, my colleagues, um, the um, my relationship with myself and the job. You know, it was really so different, so different. So um, that's why, uh, yeah, that's why that that feeling of uh, uh, love at first sight. With uh, with your job to me is to me it's, it's really key and that's what I emphasize on in my uh, in my book is that um, yes the job you do what you do every day that it has to be something um, that that's you're passionate about that drives you yeah exactly that you are passionate about and uh, it was uh, yeah you know my my search to become an English teacher and a translator you know I really searched inside of me what was my um, yeah what was I born to do you know what kind of skill um, was I born with you know so that was um, that's really what I was uh, what I emphasized on okay and this drove you then to because of where you were located uh, in London or uh, doing the jobs as the interpreter then how did that drive you to your passion, which you are in the middle of now, of becoming a gold medalist. I love I love that sound. <laughs> I um, how did this happen? My God, I think I was uh, I went to Singapore. Uh, when was that? It was two years ago, 2013. I went to Singapore because I had a job in uh, Indonesia. In Indonesia and at that time I was still just like today and just like five years ago I was still uh, in the mindset that I want to go to Japan I want to go to Japan I want to go to Japan and uh, at that time what I thought was okay Gregory you are, you are going to work in Indonesia that's Asia that's a good thing if you go back to Japan you know what it's like in Japan you're going to love it but the fact that you don't speak Japanese well enough is going to be is going to make your integration harder. So so then my idea was to go to Singapore instead because I was thinking that uh, Singapore is Asia and that people over there speak English. Okay. You know, so I, so I thought, uh, oh, it's going to be that that we, it would be the perfect fit. Asia plus plus English combined, you know. And that's uh, and and once uh, I was in Singapore, I was looking for a job. You know, I was looking for a job because I wanted to live there. So I needed to uh, find a, an employer to um, grant myself uh, a working visa. Right. I wanted to find a job. You know, I didn't want to interpret anymore. I wanted to find a job to get my visa and stay there. And there, <laughs> I um, I um. How did it go? Yeah, I started looking for a job for two months, and because I was, I had a, a lot of free time. You know, I was uh, sending my resumes, then I was networking with uh, people uh, who could help me, and then during all my spare time, I was training. I was training, and uh, oh my God, I'm sorry, Carol, I lied to you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Why? What happened? I lied to you because the um, that um, that um, I, I forgot we switched to the to the Olympic side. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. Don't worry about it. We're still trying to determine what you know your goal here for your um, 
your is it triathlon that you're going for and and your training why don't you tell us about that yeah sure you know the very first moment i uh was uh my second time in japan it was in northern japan in a, in a city called uh, sapporo and um it was uh i was i was there you know and it was that time when i was working as a um, as a teacher and I was really confused, you know, because uh, I uh, I thought I had be, I, I had been uh, really brave to quit osteopathy and find something that I loved. I thought, uh, okay, I'm going. Uh, uh, what should I do? Should I go back to France? Should I work as an osteopath again? So I was I was confused at that time. Maybe I didn't say it earlier, but I was confused. I wasn't depressed anymore, but um, I, I was a bit confused, you know, thinking about uh, what I should do next. And there, I started um, the moment of um, epiphany came when I uh, when I started listening to my uh, intuition very intensively. You know, that's something that I uh, started to develop when I was in um, when I was uh, near Banff, and uh, I started listening to my intuition to my intuition really uh, really much, and that's during one night that uh, yeah that my intuition told me. Uh, to um, I asked my intuition, okay, what what should I do next? Not osteopathy, not teaching. What should I do next? And there, my intuition just told me uh, triathlon, Olympic games. That, just that like was that. It. Just <laughs> like that, you know. And that was really it. Just one moment. And that probably one, um, made an impact on you, like it felt right. Oh, you know, it's a, uh, it's um, like um, it's exactly. When you, I, I always have those uh, uh, metaphor with love because that because that's something uh, everybody knows that, that feeling uh, everybody knows it, and when I um, the day I, my intuition told me triathlon Olympic games, it felt exactly the same thing as um as when you as fell as, in uh, love. I'm so sorry, Gregory. I think we were disconnected there for a moment. Um, the internet probably went down or had a rest or something, but anyway, we're back online and I just wanted, we were talking about, um, your passion, of to become a gold medalist is very similar when you made that decision to the feeling that you have when you fall in love and you want to maybe tell us about that. And we need to, um, you know, bring that to a conclusion and how you basically have gone full circle here in your life to find that passion. So let's talk about that. Yeah, exactly. That defining a moment in Japan was, uh, yeah, well, it was really like that. You know, I realized that, um, yeah, my intuition told me that, um, that uh, triathlon and the Olympic Games was the right thing to do. There wasn't a lot of details associated with it, but just those few words, it just, there was a, a very high level of certainty associated with it. So at that time, I just thought, okay, it's sure I've got to do it. Never mind how unreal it is. You know, I was already 33, 34 years old at that time. Never mind how unreal it is. I was con um, convinced I had to do it. Okay. And, that, and that's how I started to train a lot. But, are you are you training every day then? Uh, yeah, every day. And every day, what, you, and it's the triathlon that you want to compete in. Yes, exactly. And um, but um, but what happened is that uh, so at that time, Tokyo was only a candidate city for the 2020 games. So I um, so the so yes, it wasn't yet. 100% sure that Tokyo was going to be uh, the host city, and it wasn't uh, sure either that I had the the, um, the the physical skills to do that. Okay. So I I, I kept on training, and uh, but I uh, I became sick again. I had uh, anemia, and uh, and so I uh, I stopped training. I stopped training for something like eight months. So that was very long. Yes, but, it is. Yeah, it is. But on uh, and what happened? And once again, I love that story. And that's and that's where the that would be a good conclusion is that on September fourth of twenty thirteen, 
I um I was still an interpreter at that time, and um, I um it was September fourth, twenty thirteen was the day the International Olympic Committee was going to decide which city was going to host the oh. <laughs> the games, and that was very intense. You know, I was yes. for the first time in my life I was I was afraid to know the answer because at that time I I uh, I had stopped training for eight months. And then that's you, a long time, yes. A long time, and uh, and um, and at that time, when I when I heard that yes, the 2020 Olympic Games were going to be in Tokyo, I told myself, my God, Gregory, your dream is going to become a reality. Tokyo is going to be the host city. If you don't start training again today, you're going to regret it forever. That's right. That's right, and that's and so that that was the, another defining moment. September fourth, I thought, okay, Tokyo won um, the uh, the election. I've got to I've got to go after it, and that's when I moved to I went to Singapore, and uh, during my job research, I was just training all the time, and that's how uh, and that's how this uh, this still continues today. Well, that's amazing, and it's wonderful that you can come out of a state of depression, which actually basically made you go around the globe, <laughs> you know, to right, right from France all the way back. I mean, to find and fulfill your passion and your dream and to overcome the hurdles, to overcome a disease of depression that many, many people have to deal with and writing your book, which is finding your sole job which is the, again, another driving force in your life. So you've, I think, touched on a lot of things that um, will will speak to a lot of different people and what they are going through. And to, in other words, never give up. Never, ever give up, give up and just keep going until you pursue and find and complete your dream. Exactly. And if, you're, and if your dream uh, is not reality yet, change the plan, not the dream. <laughs> I love that. So anyone who is wondering and and is possibly discouraged, don't change your dream. Change exactly. your plan. That's incredible, Gregory. Thank you so much. You have yeah. been a real inspiration. And I know that um, when people see the website and, and all your information will be on there as far as your book and, and your website in any way that they can contact you. And we will expect to hear good things from you. And in 2020, when we're all watching the games, we'll all be rooting for you. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you again, Gregory, and goodbye. Thank you very much, Carol. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.